First Thessalonians 2, 9 through 16. Please follow along as I read. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Let's pray. Not a bird falls to the ground, Lord Jesus, apart from your Father's will. And I ask now, Father, that we would take heart that nothing befalls us but what the Father of mercies regards as good for us, as painful as it may be. Lord, this and many things we need to learn from your word, which is what we want to focus on this morning. And so my heart's prayer is that we as a church and all those who are visiting with us in these two sites this morning would fall in love with the scriptures, that we would savor them like honey and cherish them like fine gold. I pray for teenagers and children to love the Bible more than they love movies and music. I pray, O oh God, for adults to love the Bible more than they love the newspaper or the news on the television or simply relaxed with a good book in the living room. I pray, O oh God, that you would birth in our worldly hearts a passion for your precious word so that we cannot get enough of it, that we love to memorize it and we love to meditate on it and we love to make music over it and to mind it like children and to minister in the power of it. Oh God, work a love for the scriptures into your people this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we began prayer week with a call to be devoted to prayer from Romans 12, 12. And we end prayer week with a call to receive the word of God for what it really is, 
the word of God. And we're going to talk mainly about how to do that. Just like last week, I focused on the how of praying. I want to focus this week on the how of receiving the scriptures as the word of God. I have one text in mind that is one verse from the text that Keith read, namely verse 13 of First Thessalonians 2. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. which also performs its work in you who believe. So my focus is simply on the words, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. And I have three observations about that. One, the apostolic word is the word of God. The teaching of the apostles is the word of the living God. That's point one. Point two, we should receive this objective external word into ourselves in the right way. There is a right way to hear the apostolic word and we should receive and accept it in the right way. That's point two. Third, the right way to receive it is to accept it as precious and pleasant and practical. And that last word means memorize it and meditate on it and make music over it and minister in it and mind it. Five M's and three P's, which we'll come to in about 15 minutes. Those are the three points of the message. Number one, the apostolic word is the word of God. Verse 13 again. When you received the word you heard from us, the word of God you heard from us, you accepted it. Our word coming out of our mouths. The words of men, you accepted it, not as the words of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. That's what Jesus meant to happen when he chose apostles and commissioned them to speak in his name. My argument is the words of the apostles are the words of God. The definition of the word apostolos, apostle, is one sent on behalf of another in his name with his authority. That's the meaning of apostle. Jesus chose 12. He didn't name them prophets. He named them apostles. And then he said in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, Jesus made plans so that 
His word and all the truth that the church needs on planet Earth would be secured and guaranteed by the work of the Holy Spirit through a body of apostles whose writings would then be preserved in a canon for us that 2,000 years later we would not be adrift in a sea of confusion. This worked itself out for the Apostle Paul like this. Listen to this word from 1 Corinthians 2.13. We impart this wisdom in words taught not by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. That's just what Jesus promised would happen. Taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who possess the Spirit. So Paul was saying, my words coming out of my ordinary human mouth are not coming from human wisdom. They are coming from divine wisdom taught by the Spirit so that these are to be heard as the very words of God with divine authority and divine truthfulness. In fact, several times in the Corinthian correspondence, twice he said, for even if, this is 2 Corinthians 10.8, even if I boast a little too much in our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. In other words, the authority I exert in the early church, writing my letters, traveling from church to church, is a God-given authority. When I speak in his name, I speak the very inspired words of God so that it becomes a measuring rod. Listen to how it functions as a measuring rod against Other kinds of subjective spiritual claims, even in the New Testament. How much more today? Listen to these words from the apostle in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Either this man is an absolute megalomaniac or he's inspired by God. You got those two choices. You can't read the New Testament and say, oh, the epistles are written by such wise and intelligent men. They have wonderful human teachings. Baloney, he's crazy. Unless. He met Christ on the Damascus Road. He was made an apostle to speak an authoritative word for a season on behalf of the risen Christ. It was to be written down in 13 letters, put in this book, and preserved for the church of Jesus Christ to live by. If that's true, he's not crazy. And you've got to decide. Peter vouched for him like this in... 2 Peter 3.15. Now, you remember Paul said the scriptures are inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16, meaning the whole Old Testament. Now, Peter looks at the writings of the apostle Paul and puts him in that category like this. 2 Peter 3.15. Our beloved brother Paul, who wrote you according to the wisdom given him, has, as he does in all his letters, he speaks of these matters. There are some things in them hard to understand, which is good for us to hear from Peter while we're in Romans 9. There are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other 
scriptures. You hear the importance of those last words? Peter, writing about the difficulty of the apostolic word, says, some people twist them as they do the other scriptures. So Peter is saying, yes, Paul was right when he said, I don't speak in human wisdom. I speak inspired by the Holy Spirit. I speak words of authority. All other spiritual experiences get measured by these inspired words. Peter hears that and he says, that's right. He is writing scripture. We apostles are called and endowed for a generation to write scripture, to complete the canon of the Bible, to have it sewed up for a rule for the church to be governed and blessed by Until Jesus comes. Now, I am fully aware, as you are, that I have not just proved that the Bible is the word of God. If you wanted to be a skeptic right now, you could simply observe I'm arguing in a circle. And I'm not arguing. I'm just expositing. I'm telling you what the apostles teach about the words of the apostles. That's not a proof that what they say is true. You have to wrestle with that on other terms. And in fact, if you want to wrestle with that further, I commend to you that you get a good book. We have lots of good books in the bookstore on Thy Word is Truth and good, solid arguments for why we embrace the Bible as the inspired Word of God. But before you get to the is it so stage, you might want to know what it claims for itself. And in the very claim. God might do an illuminating work in your life. In fact, I don't believe, and you know this as well as I, that any child or any average ordinary adult ever came to believe in the Bible because of sophisticated scholarly arguments alone. Most people never had any access to such arguments. If that were the only way you could have a warranted and settled conviction that the apostles speak the word of God, nobody would believe it. So the old catechisms went like this. This is a quote on question five from Keech's catechism, which is kind of a Baptist version of the Westminster catechism, which is 400 years old. The Bible evidences itself to be God's word By the heavenliness of its doctrine, the unity of its parts, its power to convert sinners and to edify saints. But the spirit of God only bearing witness by and with the scriptures. Now, that's a little important phrase bearing witness by and with the scriptures. Don't 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 shut your Bible and get on on your knees and say, oh, God, tell me, is it so? He won't do that. God does. That is not the in. Internal testimony of the Holy Spirit is not that. The internal testimony of the Holy Spirit is by and with the scriptures as you read, a divine transaction may happen in your mind and heart, opening you to self-evidencing glory in these words. I cut off in the middle of that last sentence. Bearing witness by and with the scriptures in our hearts is able to fully persuade us that the Bible is the word of God. That's my first point. It's simply this. The apostolic word is the word of God. That's our conviction here at Bethlehem. That's what is taught in the Bible. 
And I pray for those of you who haven't gotten there yet, who don't submit yourself yet under this word, but are still standing over it, passing judgment on it, will move by the Spirit under it and let it have its self-evidencing, powerful, authenticating, truthful, divine authority in your life. Second point of the message. When the Word of God comes to us objectively, as it does in this book, and in the apostolic word in particular here, though all of it, we should receive it in the right way. Which is just a restatement of verse 13. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, from a man, from a human, in written form, to learn a language, at least English, or whatever language you have your Bible in. When you received the word which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Now, in that sentence, there are two words, received and accepted. That's the version I have in front of me, maybe a little different, but they're not the same word. When you received, you accepted And you say, hmm, what's the difference between receiving and accepting? Receiving and accepting. Receiving is what you do to a tradition. It arrives on your desk in the form of a book or in a message preached or any way. And it's just objectively there. It is now coming into your brain objectively. It is now construed by your brain. And there it is. It's got sentences and and uh, paragraphs, and you now see some objective meaning given by the words. That's the first receiving. And then I'm arguing in the second point, when that happens, something else should happen after that. Called in this verse, accepting as the word of God. And that word there is different from the word receiving. Let me pause before I tell you the slant on that word to just say, I am distancing myself here from a neo-orthodox view of the scriptures because this verse distances itself from a neo-orthodox view. And what I mean by that, you don't have to know that, is a neo-orthodox view of scripture says, sure, this becomes the word of God. Meaning, Here are the words of men who have very significant insight into God's ways. And if by grace you read it, it may become for you the word of God. God may touch it with fire and it will explode in your mind and it becomes the word of God. But objectively out here, it is paper and print and it is not the word of God or preaching That Paul preached, it was not the word of God objectively, outside of a mind and heart, until God made it the word of God. That would be a neo-orthodox view of scripture. That won't fit this verse. This verse says just the opposite. It doesn't say uh, the apostolic word becomes the word of God when you accept it as the word of God. And experience his power. It says you accept it as the word of God because it is the word of God. That's what it says. I mean, I'm not doing any interpretation here, am I? Let's just read it again. You accepted it 
not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. It seems like Paul's writing in the 20th century over against certain mid-century neo-orthodox expressions of authority that don't work. Now, the word accept is different from the word receive. It's welcome. It's embrace. You can receive a shot in the arm and not like it. You can receive paragoric and not taste it and enjoy it. You can receive a blow to the face. Receiving does not say much about the subjective response. But the word dechamai or accept is a welcoming and embracing. Let me show you another use of it in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Right after Paul says that he teaches words that are taught by the Spirit, he adds this. The natural person does not accept, same word, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, accepting Paul's words as God's words is a spiritual event. It's an action in the heart whereby you are enabled by God to embrace and welcome and taste and savor and esteem and cherish the word of God. That's what I mean by the right way to receive the word of God is by accepting them as the word of God. So now let's shift to that last third point and spend most of our time there. How do you, at Bethlehem, in 2003, how do you accept the words of the apostles, or let's just say now, the Bible? How do you accept the Bible this year in a way that honors it as the Word of God? How do you take the words of man, because these are just English words in this Bible, this is an English Bible, this is just the words that somebody printed out in letters, and we all know that's human, that's human. And how do you deal with this as divine? And I see a threefold answer in the context of 1 Thessalonians, and then I want to give a fivefold application answer for what to do day by day. So here's the the threefold answer. These are the three Ps that I mentioned back at the beginning. Accept it as precious, accept it as pleasurable or pleasant, and accept it as practical. I see all of those in the text. Let me show you where. You need to see a link between 1 Thessalonians 2.14 and 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. So you might put a finger in, or maybe across the page in your Bible. In verse 14, before we look back, This verse, uh, he spells out a little further with evidence that it had an effect in their lives. Verse 14 of chapter 2, you brethren became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen. In other words, the word of God enabled them to suffer. Now, look at the parallel to that back in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, 
you became imitators. Same thing as you just said of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. They're suffering again. And with joy in the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. So Paul's really big now on telling this church, both in chapter 1 and chapter 2, what crisis they came into as they heard the word of God. They had a choice to make. Will we embrace it and suffer for it? Just like the saints back in Judea? Or will we say, it isn't worth it? If that's what it costs to be a Christian, to suffer, I just, I will stay with my old religion. And what he's telling them to encourage them and bless them is, you accepted it and you suffered. Now, where do I get precious, pleasant, and practical from that? I get precious from the phrase, you receive the word in much affliction. Because if they received the word, embraced the word, welcomed the word, and it started causing affliction, they'd throw it away if it weren't precious. In these people's lives, by the grace of God, the word of God had become more precious than comfort, more precious than security, more precious than safety. More precious than house or home or family. Like the old Puritan who, in the days of persecution, when it wasn't legal to have an English Bible in Britain, would stand up and say, Take our houses, take our lands, take our churches, take our children, but don't take our Bible. Is that your order of priority? Do you love the Bible, the Word of the living God, communication with the Almighty in this book more than you love your family, more than you love security? The second is pleasant. The first is precious. Receive it as precious. That's how to receive it as the Word of God as precious. The second is pleasant. Where do I get that? I get it from the phrase in verse 6. With joy of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they, they heard the word, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This word arrived in their hearts, bursting with the joy of the Holy Spirit. There wasn't a separation. I got the word over here, it's a drag, and then I got the Holy Spirit, and he's fine. No way. That is not what this text says. This text says, you received the word in much affliction with the joy that the Holy Spirit gave you as you read these glorious truths. You see these magnificent promises in this glorious Savior, in this work on the cross and the resurrection, and you see yourself surrounded by hostile people, and you know you're bound for glory and everlasting joy, and you rejoice because it is so pleasant to hear those truths. And as soon as I got to this point in the message, precious and pleasant, in my little concordance in my brain, it's not a very big one, but it really serves me well from time to time. It went clink, clink, clink. I think I've heard this before. I think this issue of preciousness and pleasure, that's, I, that, I, I know where that, there's some place in the Bible where the word of God is spoken of that way. 
wonder if you know where it is. It's Psalm 19, verse 10, and it goes like this. More to be desired are they, the words of God, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. I said, aha, gold is precious and honey is pleasant. You want to know how to receive the word of Scripture as the word of God the way they did and the way we're supposed to? Receive it as more precious than gold and more pleasant than honey. Do you speak of the word of God in those terms? It is sweet to my taste. It is precious More precious than my bank account or my portfolio or my job or my earnings. Do you speak of the word of God that way? My prayer is that those of you who do not will be changed in this service by the power of the Holy Spirit creating taste buds on your soul's tongue. The third P is practical. It's precious, it's pleasant, and by practical, I simply mean it changes us. And I see that in verse 7. So that, so you receive the word in much affliction as very precious, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, because it's so pleasant, so that you became an example to the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Their lives were so changed by this preciousness and this pleasure that they got a reputation all over the Eastern world of faith. Why? The word changed them. So my first threefold answer to the question, how do you accept the word, when it when you receive it in your hand or you put it on your coffee table or it lays on your nightstand, how does it go from word of man in a book on the table, objectively the word of God, to in here received and accepted as the word of God should be? Namely, the answer is receive it as precious, more than gold, pleasant, better than honey. Practical, more practical, I would venture, than any counselor you've ever visited or any coach you've ever had or any self-help book you buy at Barnes & Noble. This book is practical. Now, finally, the five M's. If this is so, what should I do with the book? I mean, practically, you said you said those three P's and I hear that. I want that to happen. It isn't happening the way I'd like. What should I do? Here are my five practical, nitty gritty outworkings of those three P's. Memorize, meditate, make music, minister with it and mind it. Let's take those one at a time. Number one, memorize scripture. I hope that you will not leave this morning until you are up to speed on the fighter verse and at least consider the possibility of memorizing longer passages than you've ever memorized in your life. Some of you might want to go for Philippians this year. We've got elders and have had elders who've memorized James, First Peter, Philippians, at least half of Romans. Your elders love the Word of God. 
They believe in the importance of memorizing Scripture. One of them memorized the Sermon on the Mount. One of them memorized 14 to uh, 17 in the book of John. And I'm not talking 20 years ago. I'm talking now. Now, memory is precious. And uh, when you start losing it, it becomes more precious. And those of you who are younger should work harder even though those of us who are older have to work harder because it's not easy to memorize. And I, don't, I, don't, I, won't, I will not treat you nicely if you say to me, I'm old and it's hard, and so I don't. I do not buy it. Yeah, you might have to say it a hundred times instead of five. You can say it a hundred times. You're going to need it when you die. And you're going to need it before then when somebody else dies. We are not playing games. This is the word of the living God. Turn off the television for God's sake. Turn it off and learn the scriptures. People are going to hell. People are in sickness. They're in dire need. They need truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And our mouths are full of ashes and husks. It is very, very precious. If you felt it as precious as gold and as pleasant as honey, you would memorize it. You know why? Because honey in the jar, in the cabinet, doesn't taste good. This is not rocket science. Honey in the jar or the bear in the cabinet doesn't taste good. Neither does this on the shelf at 10 o'clock in the morning during break time at work when you need to talk to somebody about what you love. Put it in your mouth by putting it in your memory. Everything goes better with memory. All the other M's depend in part upon memory. You will meditate day and night if you memorize. You'll make music with the Word of God if you memorize it. You'll minister with it if you memorize it. You'll mind it better if you memorize it. Psalm 119.11 I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to be more triumphant over sin? Memorize Scripture. 1 John 2.14 I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. How? The word of God abides in you. You having trouble with the devil? He cannot stand before the word of God. What did Jesus, the almighty son of God, use to dispense the devil in the wilderness? Three times he simply quoted scripture. If the son of the living God has to deal with the devil by quoting the Bible, who do you think you are to deal with the devil any other way? And of course, you're not dealing with the devil. And that's the problem. You cave over and over again to do the default worldly stuff. And you let the disinclination sown by the evil one to triumph over the seed of desire, which I get to try to sow 30 minutes a week. Or your small group ties to sow. May God give us strength. Get the fighter verses and make much of them. Get Andy Davis's book and get it into your heart. I'll tell you, 
just a few chapters memorized makes all the difference in the world. Pick a few Psalms. You all know Psalm 23. You're halfway there. You know, you can memorize two Psalms this year now. Do Psalm 1, then Psalm 8, then Psalm 121. There's a big link between this message and last week on prayer. If you wonder, how come you're preaching this in prayer week? I thought this was supposed to be prayer. You know, there is a connection between prayer and the Word that is worth dozens of sermons. Let me just say a minute about it. Those who do not memorize Scripture generally pray worldly prayers. They pray like unbelievers pray. You listen to them. You don't hear the substance of the mind of God. You hear an expression of worldliness turned Godward. Give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. None of it bad, just what the world wants. Whereas people who memorize the scriptures, it starts shaping their longings and their desires. You know, is it any surprise that that God will hear such prayers because it says in Romans 8, 27, the Lord knows and hears the mind of the Spirit when He prays for us because He intercedes for the saints according to God. So if you want to be heard, pray according to God. How do you pray according to God? By just letting your own native worldliness give expression to itself? And say, oh, God's patient, he's merciful, he'll take me wherever I am. Of course he will, and he'll get you to where he wants you to be, which is immersed in this book. So you're praying, make your name hallowed in my family. Come like a king in my family. Help us to do the will of God in my family like the angels do it in heaven. Guard me from temptation. Help me to gouge out my eye rather than fall into lust. Oh, God, work your meekness into my life. Help me to hunger for righteousness. And it'll just keep coming and coming and coming because you're so full of what God wants for you that you'll begin to pray with tremendous confidence that he's hearing you. So there's a big connection between last week's message and this message. And I want us to be a church that prays and prays and prays and prays and reads and meditates and memorizes. So let's let's do meditate. Second, meditate. That means think about what you read. Ponder it. Ask questions about it. Here's the way Paul put it in 2 Timothy 2.7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think over what I say. That's like saying, Timothy, don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Grab it in the middle and hold on to it. If it starts to go out the ear, grab it. Pull it back in. Think about it. Take every word and focus on a different word like we did in the early morning prayer meeting this morning. Here's a suggestion for how to meditate. Whatever method you use for reading the Bible this year, do this. Suppose you're going to read a chapter a day. You're not going to even try to read through the Bible. We take about four chapters a day. I just plead with you, don't go away from your Bible reading in the morning without remembering, memorizing one verse or one phrase in a verse. And if your mind has a hard time holding that all day long, write it on a little piece of paper and put it in your pocket. 
And then all day long, let that one verse be like a spiritual lozenge on the tongue of your soul that keeps draining with sweet, healing, powerful juices down so that you can say it is sweeter than honey to my taste. Because you know what happens after devotions in the morning? You don't remember a thing. I don't. Unless I try. That's one of the reasons Bible memory for me is so big. Personal devotions without Bible memory is almost useless to me. I wish it were not so. I wish I had the kind of brain that when I read a paragraph or a chapter, I'd close my mind and about 10 a.m. I'd remember what was in it. I don't. I do not remember what was in the Bible because my memory, short term and long term, is so bad, I have to work like crazy to get the Bible into my head. If you're the kind that can just read a thing once and go away and you got it at 10, you got it at noon, you got it at 4, you got it at 8, you're using it all day long, amen, bless you, forget my counsel. But if you're like me, and when you shut your Bible, it's just about gone, then fight against it and memorize it and write it down on a piece of paper and carry it with you all day. Then get another verse the next day. And you know what? The Lord will use those verses in people's lives like you never dreamed. Third, make music with it. I get that from Colossians 3.16. Listen to this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So don't miss the connection there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, comma, singing psalms. The adverbial participial connection there is this is the way it happens. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and spiritual songs to one another. We've got all the good hymns and all the good worship songs are replete with Bible, either explicitly or by echo. Good worship songs and good hymns are simply doing what Colossians 3.16 says. And if you know the word, you know what? You'll make your own. you make your own. Just humming and putting words to different tunes as you walk to work or whistle your way there. Make music with it. Fourthly, minister with the word of God. And I don't have in mind pastors here. I have in mind regular, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, day-to-day Christians on the phone, in an email, on the street, in the office, small groups, in the hospital, in the living room. For this reason, Hebrews 3.12 Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another, not just Piper, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Now tell me, in obedience to that verse, what are you going to exhort with to protect their faith and guard them from the evil heart of an unbelief? Your wisdom? You think you or I could say anything that will rescue a person from the clutches of the devil and from the power of the world and from the corruption of sin? Hopeless, absolutely hopeless. One sword cuts to the division of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And that is the word of God. And this says every day. 
day exhort each other like that. If you love people, you'll read, meditate, make music, and memorize the Bible. Because you won't want to just speak in your own power. You will want to speak in God's power. Oh, I have made so many mistakes early in the ministry in this regard until I learned I've got to memorize it. My first years here, I had some of the most awful experiences at the hospital. One of them was when Roland Erickson's wife had a heart attack. Now, Roland and she are both going to be with Jesus now. And I arrived there. I was so proud of myself. I got there fast, just like a pastor's supposed to do. And she's in coronary care and we don't know if she's going to make it and Roland and the whole family are there and he looks at me and he says, share a word with us, Pastor John. And I didn't have my Bible. I left the, I left the house so fast and my mind went absolutely blank. Zero. Isn't that amazing? That's Satan and that's a weak plan. And I went home and I cried like a baby. I prayed, you know, some general prayer. And I got down and I said, never, ever will that happen again. And I opened my Bible to Psalm 46 and I could say it in my sleep today. I said, I'm going to memorize one wonderful refuge psalm that will work everywhere on everybody's crisis. And I'm going to make that my portion. And then out from there... I'm going to learn as many others as I can so that when I arrive on the scene of any tragedy, I will have something the Holy Spirit can make use of to bless people. And that is not the job of pastors. That's the job of Christians. So love each other by memorizing Scripture and ministering them. So listen, I'll give you a very precious uh, personal longing of this pastor. If you have any access to me in my next life, that is, the years I have left to live, before I die, which could be this afternoon, or it could be 20 years from now. My dad's 84, so I have no idea when I'm going. If you have any access to me, give me the Bible when you come. Give me the Bible when you come. Don't make small talk with me about the Vikings, spare me. When I'm confused, give me the word of God. When I'm arrogant, elders rebuke me with the word of God. When I'm lustful, close friends rebuke me, comfort me, help me with the word of God. When I'm frightened, stabilize me with the promises of God. When I'm suffering, give me. Consolation in the word of God. When I'm angry, give me the word of God about his justice and forgiveness. When I'm dying, give me the word of God. I plead with you, whoever is going to be there, minister to me the word of God. Finally, mind the word of God. I wanted M's. I think mind works. It's a verb, not a noun in this sentence. Children, you should mind your parents. That's the context. That's the meaning of mind. Mind, that is obey the word of God. If you want M-M-M-M-O, you can just say obey. But if you want five M's, you have to say mind. Jesus said this. All authority is mine in heaven and earth. Now, Bethlehem, 2003, go. Missionaries, 
go. Christians go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here it comes. Teaching them to mind. Teaching them to observe all that, all that I have commanded you. All these wonderful red pages in here. And by implication, all the pages in here, which are the word of the Lord. So we're told to mind. Isn't it wonderful that after he says uh, that the words of God are more precious than gold, yea, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings to the honeycomb, he adds this verse 11, chapter 19 of Psalms. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned and in keeping them, there is great reward. Mind them, because just like in a family, parents, they don't want the children to mind under constraint. And therefore, when children are minding, everything's working. Everybody's happy when there's wonderful submission to appropriate authority. God's not trying to ruin your day. In fact, it says in 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that great? This is the love of God. What does it mean to love God? Test yourself now as we close. Do you love God? And you might say, well, how can I know if I love God? The answer of 1 John 5, 3 is this is the love of God. That you keep his commandments and they are not burdensome. In other words, love to God means you delight to do what he says. So let's sum it up and draw it to a close. 2003, last week, be devoted to prayer. This week, accept the apostolic word for what it really is, the word of God. How? By cherishing it as more precious than gold and by savoring it as more pleasant than honey and by living in it as more practical than all the health self-help books or counsel in the world. And then very practically, the five M's. Let's together as a church devote ourselves to prayerful memorizing the scriptures this year and prayerful meditation on the scriptures this year and prayerful music making with the scriptures this year and prayerful ministry to one another with the scriptures this year and prayerful minding or obedience of the scriptures this year. Oh God in heaven, I know that it's one thing for me to to plead and to try to use the scriptures to kindle a love for the scriptures. And it's another thing for it to miraculously happen in the hearts of children and teenagers and single adults and married adults and older people, widows and widowers. It's another thing, Lord, to go home today and really feel love for the scriptures. And so I'm asking, Lord, that as we sing... You would work a miracle in our hearts to put us out of taste with the bait of the devil and make us love the word of God.